0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and others. I'm your host, Sarah Null Wilson, and joining me today, which technically, technically a five-timer... This will be her fifth episode, but it'll be her third time being on the show because two of our previous conversations were split into two, is our dear friend and colleague T. Maxine Woods-McMillan. So for those of you who haven't listened to the previous shows, I always recommend you do. But let me give you a little bit of information about her uh, before we dig into our, our topic about how the workplace is changing and how leaders might be struggling to keep up with those changes. So throughout her career, T. Maxine Woods-McMillan has been known as the great train. Translator, finding ways to make parties with differing and at times competing interests understand the position of the other. And when that has not been successful, her talent advocacy skills make her equally effective at getting the fact finder in a dispute to see the position of her client. Maxine's practice focuses on employment law, business dispute resolution, and workplace equity and equality. She represents employees when their rights have been violated and is also a trusted advisor and trainer for employers and their staff to prevent the violation of those rights before they occur. She is a compassionate yet formidable advocate in the areas of discrimination on the basis of race, sex, gender, pregnancy, religion, national origin, and age, as well as sexual and racial harassment and wrongful retaliation termination. She also brings a niche understanding to the distinct dynamic created when the workplace intersects with a family relationship or is part of a faith community and is particularly equipped to assist with legal advocacy in those areas. Maxine welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I love it here.
0: (laughs) We just keep having you back. Nick was like, she's, she's part of the five timer. And I was like, Oh, I think this is only her third time. And he was like, well, technically, it's her third time on the show. But we had four episodes for the previous two. So that's that's a that's an elite few right there,
1: right? Because we have so much fun, it just keeps <laughs> going and going.
0: It's uh, yeah, we do, and we you know now and and once once we exchanged numbers, phone numbers, we knew that that was going to be trouble. Uh, so today, what we thought, well, in full transparency, uh, we've been having a lot of conversations just about uh, all the changes that are happening from. Um, from the the various strikes that are happening to the things we're witnessing related to how people are changing their perspective on work how there is a gap it appears in a lot of organizations with those who are in formal authority um, and power um, to understand those challenges so i i'm just going to say like where do you want to where where do we begin because <laughs> there's so much but the other thing that i want to say is um, one of the things that's so great, and I always learn so much from you, is just your deep knowledge of employment law and practices. Um, so, yeah. So where should we start today, Maxine?
1: I mean, I think so. We're having this conversation right in the smack dab middle in uh It's 2023 uh, in the fall and everybody, someone said to me, is everybody on strike? Like who's left to not be on strike? Is everyone on strike? And I was like, not quite yet, but you know, the year is young. (laughs) Let's see what happens. (laughs) Um, So I think, I think, I think it's interesting to really look at as a society, and I think you were the one who uh, asked me, when are we going to get to the point where everyone just kind of says enough? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think if we're not at that point, we're, we're nearing that point. Yeah. The conditions are ripe for people to make, uh, the decisions that come into play when you, you see strikes happening. That doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And it's usually not people just being like, you know, hey, I don't want to go to work. I think people who, who say folk or just don't want to work do not have um, a really informed and intricate understanding of what it means to be on strike. Mm. <laughs> um, they, they they obviously don't understand this. This is not a vacation. You are not, you know, sitting home chilling, just getting yeah. a check. Um, so I think either they don't understand those dynamics, or they are not sensitive to uh, what they are indicators of.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's something that we've been talking about a lot within our team. And is that the whole, uh, people don't want to work. You know, I was just, um, I don't remember if I told this story already. And I apologize, listeners, if I have, but you know, I was literally just at our farmer's market and I was buying some, dog treats from a local vendor and i was chatting you know with them and asking her how the business was going all of this and and um and you know she's like well it would be great if people wanted it to work but nobody wants to work and there is something and i i don't know i i haven't been able to articulate it for myself there's something that it just that feels so sharp and wrong um when people say it and and i you know i said well here's my perspective is people are really rethinking the role work has in their life and what they're willing to tolerate and what they're willing to put up with and, you know, a lot of that got accelerated during the pandemic for people who may have experienced loss of life who experienced loss of time with people. I know that that happened for me. And, um, but like, I still haven't been able to really articulate just I don't know. There's just something about it. I get real prickly when I hear that. And uh, so, so from your perspective, what like uh, I want to go back to the language you use. Like people aren't paying attention to the indicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say more about that.
1: So to, so to respond to your your, your first statement, right, um, I, I do want to respond to that. But when you talk about something like a, like a small business owners, a micro, what I call a micro business owner, uh, you know, it might be them, their spouse and, you know, one other employee or, you know, a cousin or something like that. Um, It's interesting to me at a time when we are uh, so conversant in the languages of other uh, cultures Mm. and classes, we have access to so much information. Um, It's interesting to me when we incorporate those ideologies and use that, the Mm. lexicon of others, not realizing how different it is for us. So here's a small business owner saying, oh, well, you know, people just don't want to work. Right. And I hear that so often mimicking, you know, the billionaire, you know, the billionaire class, right? The people yeah. or the millionaire earners who are making $29 million a year and you're comparing you are putting yourself in the same uh uh bucket so to speak mm, mm. as the employer, you know, who's making mm, 60,000 mm. maybe if you cleared 60,000 mm-hmm. it's a good mm-hmm. year and you're saying, you know, we're experiencing the same things. Mm. You are not. Right. And so we have to really look at the larger market when when small business owners are saying people don't want to work um, or they want they, they want to create conditions that it's just impossible for me to be able to support as an employer. You have to really look at the larger marketplace in which you are uh, really participating and who creates mm. that marketplace when things such as, you know, the fact that our federal minimum wage has not moved since like jellies were in style the first right. time, right? <laughs> Something is wrong with that because <laughs> if you think about it when, when that was the case, when you could, you know, someone a girlfriend and I were talking and we were talking about where I grew up in, in New York, when you could go to the, the corner store with a dollar Right. And your purchase power as yeah. a kid with that dollar was you were daggone near Rockefeller. Right. You could get <laughs> chips, juice, you know, <laughs> you get a whole meal practically as far as meals go. for right. a middle schooler, right. You know, <laughs> hopped up on sugar. But you could actually there was redemptive purchasing power in that dollar bill. Yeah. Try that now. Right. You, you're going to pick an item. Right. And it's probably not going to be name brand. It's probably going to be off brand. Um, because you're not getting a Snapple. You're not getting a a whole drink. You might not even be able to get a canned soda, depending on where you live, for a dollar. Yeah. So our purchasing power has diminished greatly. And so when you're a small business owner, you have to really think to yourself, who is creating the conditions? Mm. How is, what is, What is the macrocosm of the working environment in which I am thrust and I am forced to participate that does not allow me, that that forces me to perpetuate the conditions of a class that doesn't Mm -hmm. include me, right? That doesn't honor the work that I do and won't invest in me either, (laughs) right? But, you know, we we keep seeing ourselves kind of repeating the same behaviors where one class is kind of forced Uh, or series of classes is forced to support the endeavors and the decisions of another that has absolutely no investment in them either or the workers they're trying to support. So when you say no one wants to work, it really doesn't need to be a period. It needs to be an ellipsis. Right. No one wants to work Mm. dot, 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 dot because i can't afford to pay them a competitive wage because a competitive wage is not even what i'm making yeah right um i think that's important to the conversation i think it's important in understanding kind of i don't want to use the term victimhood but but how we're all kind of forced into um collective complicity in this system that is designed to kind of uh you know keep us all in a system where we're we're not getting the best of it from from we're not getting the best redemptive value from it
0: yeah this is this is why i love talking to you because your experience your education how you think about it is is um what do i want to say I feel like I'm always learning from you how to yes. think about these things differently. And I I particularly appreciate the, the, the bigger push to go. One, it, yeah, it is interesting. The um the the phrases that get repeated but don't necessarily mean the same thing, depending on the like, right, the groups mm-hmm. that are saying it. That's, that's mm-hmm. an interesting thing that I'm chewing on. And I, I don't even know that I necessarily have uh, a thought to respond to that other than, oh, right, that's really interesting, right? We're hearing the same things, but it doesn't mean the um, not everyone's playing the same game, so to speak. Right. Um, but then that point of that bigger system that you're a part of. And so instead of looking at it as a failure of the another person, not wanting to not reflecting on the bigger system that has created this um, cosmos of complicity to use your, to, to use your language. That's um, really fascinating to think about it in that way.
1: There's this thing that I tell my, my kids when I'm, saying you know and sometimes you know my students uh when i used to teach i would say it's important to interrogate um not just about what you think but why Mm. you think that way Mm. when did you start thinking that way Mm. Mm. what informs your thinking and here's the for me this is the big question when you're reading a story whether it's a news story or Um, you know, someone's uh, account of something that happened. I like to ask, okay, who's telling the story? So whose voice, who's the passive voice in the story? And who is served by the story being told this way? Who, Mm. qui bono, who benefits by Mm. me reading this story and it being Mm. perceived this way for me walking away with this perspective? Right. Because mm-hmm. you have your active voice, the person that's saying, hi, mm-hmm. you know, I am mm-hmm. speaking and this is my perspective. But then there's that passive voice. Right. We see it happening again. Some, you know, if you're listening to this at a different time, um, it, it, it may hit differently. But, you know, we just got in the last week, we found out that um, at a particular network, um, kind of the patriarch of that network is leaving. And there were all there's all this conversation about that person's influence. Um, not just on the news, not just in that channel or on the news, um, but kind of our collective media. Um, and so you have mm-hmm. to constantly ask who benefits, who benefits from, from uh, me holding the perspective that no one wants to work, right? That the worker is quote unquote, the bad guy, the mm. collective worker class are the ones who are not um actively participating in the uh, employment relationship in in a vested and honest way. Who benefits from that? Is there anyone that could possibly be speaking in this space um, that has an interest in me feeling this way? So I think that's important. And usually mm. between that and the person who speaks really rapidly at the end of drug commercials, I've gotten so many calls from people <laughs> just like, you've ruined me. You have ruined me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so well, that's such a that's such a
0: it's. It's such a great practice and a reminder of that practice of of really reflecting on interrogating it and that idea of, you know, the thing that of, of not just what's actively being said, but what's passively being said, who mm-hmm. and I really love that question of who's benefiting from it, because I've certainly felt that. And again, you know, for people who are coming back to listen to this episode, it's end of September 2023. So there's still a lot of companies figuring out return to office and right. What does that look like?
1: A whole different conversation that we need to we need to touch Explore on at because some that, point. If that is not reflective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that is not reflective of people just totally being disengaged with their workforce and what they're screaming, bellowing, pleading for. I don't know what is. I, I can't I can't think of a clearer marker.
0: Yeah. It well and and it's been such a collective, right? It's not just this was something that I was sharing uh, with a client recently. I said, you know, part of it is uh, similar similar to all the strikes that it isn't just this one company. Big, small, medium, where people are saying, "I want more flexibility. I want more control over my um, my schedule. I want to have more autonomy in my life." Period. Um, I want. I I like or I benefit from being able to have more options than I did before, and I'm mean, like, it is this collective movement. So it isn't just like not only are our leaders not necessarily listening to or they're listening, but they're not wanting to hear um, or consider new ways of working. But you can always tell when an article comes out like, oh, this was written by and for to support senior executive leaders, right? right? Like, it's right. always like, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna call on the the one study, or the, you know, or, or not even a study, it'll just be like, well, looks like all the the big tech people are coming back into the office. So that must mean it was a failure. And it's like, n- no, not necessarily, you know, or a failure for who? Um,
1: right? How's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, right. So, so further to that question of, you know, who benefits? Then you have to ask yourself, like when you hear things like such and mm. such a study, man, when I realized how, quote unquote, studies get funded, yeah. it was a game changer <laughs> for me. in how I interpreted information. Right. Because if you think about when you ask yourself, you know. OK, is this a reputable study? Yes. But someone has to ask the research question. Someone has to fund the process for that there has to be an audience for that information. And an audience is really ratified by virtue of a check, right? Money. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so if someone is doing a study about, you know, returning to work and how important it is for us to be together and we need this, uh, you know, for workplace cohesion and all of that, I am the person that's sitting there and that's going, okay, So we've done that for the past year. Where's the study that shows our levels of productivity or our workplace cohesion based on people or how much time people are spending outside of the office? Where's that study? And if there is none, why not? And if, you know, because nine times out of 10, you know, you and I have talked about this offline, those studies show repeatedly over and over and over again that people thrive for the most part. Um, at least in some semblance of a hybrid environment, yeah, people yeah. thrive.
0: And uh, my my friend Stephanie and I we were we were talking about this very topic recently, and and I really loved her perspective. Of she said, I feel like we keep asking the wrong question um you know the question isn't should we return to work or shouldn't we it's well how do we do our best work and you know and and i had said right like the pandemic opened up new possibilities and and she's always good to offer me like different language she said it lifted restrictions on like how work could happen you know because we weren't confined to monday through friday eight to five or 50 60 hours a week and and people again you know, and, I, and I, I certainly have shared this before, but, you know, uh, I had a leader once who was like, I, you know, people weren't questioning this before the pandemic. And I was like, is it that they weren't questioning it or they didn't know that they could? Right. You know, now we know we've, we've had the opportunity and we can question it. And, uh, and we have, we've experienced things where it's like, oh, well, shoot. I kind of like this. So why are we, why are we doing this? And so I'm curious to hear, you know, related to all of this, you know, what are you observing not only from, you know, like your industry, but clients, uh, in the news, what are you noticing as some of those biggest gaps, right. From the people who are in power versus where the workers are.
1: So one of the first things is, you know, to kind of leverage what you just said about, you know, people Experiencing something different in the workplace, and then really saying, "Hey, I kind of like this." Some some of it definitely is that, right? People experienced a different way of, um, you know, life, uh, work life integration, and realized there was a different way. Yeah. But I also think we have to be cognizant, and leaders have to be cognizant of how much our society shifted. Yeah. During the pandemic. And how many more demands were placed on everyone but certain groups? What am Mm. I talking about? Mm. So here we are, we go through a pandemic. At the same time, listen to all of the factors that are, the confluence of factors, right, that are kind of integrating to make this perfect storm. So we're going through a global pandemic at the same time as, we are also experiencing what's been kind of coined the silver tsunami where so many Mm -hmm. of our, so much of our population uh, in the U S and, and, and the UK um, really is looking at aging and not necessarily aging out of the workplace, not aging out, you know, they're not passing on, um, but they require some semblance of assistance. Um, And so you have a lot of people, um, the silver tsunami is coming at the same time. You have a lot of people in that sandwich generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm intentionally saying people um, because if you were to look at it in a vacuum, it's people, right? But let's be honest. Yeah. It's women. Yeah. Yeah. It's we, we know that the pandemic had a different impact um, uh, or additional impacts on women uh, than mm-hmm. it did on uh, men. We know that the 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 pandemic ex- had people experience it differently if you were a high income earner versus a lower income earner. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have people looking at their. I don't want to say post pandemic because if we're realistic, we are not post pandemic. Right. We are, you know, we're navigating pandemic. We're, we're still very much in the pandemic. We're just handling it very differently. Um, but you have people kind of looking at their life saying the demands on me are very different hmm. than they were, say, four or five years ago. Um, you know, you mentioned that we are at the end of September. On Saturday, September 30th, unless something major changes, which I don't see how that's going to happen. Um, but on September 30th, we are looking at falling off of the child care cliff. Yeah. And for those who are not familiar with what that looks like, you know, we got an influx. We already were struggling with child care costs in this country, yeah. where people were paying literally the same amount they were paying in their mortgage. They were paying mm. that for child care. Now, if you are in a two parent or, you know, uh, multiple parent, multiple caregiver household, that may be feasible depending on your income. But if think, imagine being a single person and you're paying, I don't know, with the the spike in rents that we also saw in the last couple of years, you're paying $17, $18, $2,500 for mortgage or rent. Now imagine doubling that because you also have to pay for Childcare. Yeah. That's if you only have one child. Yeah. Right. Um, At the same time as we're looking at on Sunday, uh, student loan restarts and those coming back. Mm -hmm. So you have these three expenses, but your pay is staying exactly the same. Yeah. And that's hitting a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of sandwich generation caregivers in a very different way. At the same time, as because we all were having different conversations about what our personhood really means, what it entails to really live this life um, where your work is is not a defining factor of who you are, not the totality of your personhood, Um, having people interrogate how much they really want to give to their job and how much redemptive value they're getting back. You mix that all up in a pot and then tell someone, hey, we want things to remain exactly the same or go back to what it was before, but we want to add in an extra couple hours of traffic um, <laughs> while your gas costs costs infinitely more than yeah, it did before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you wonder why people might be a tad upset yeah. with you. So to answer your question succinctly, what I'm seeing is um, leaders really trying to resume how things were. And not really either not taking into account or not evaluating how much things have changed in the daily lives of the people that are doing the work. And so more is required of them as uh, employers, as leaders. Um, you, you and I have talked about this before, about we are no longer willing to accept managers you can manage processes. You need to lead people. And to do so, you must be a person yourself. Yeah. You must be in touch with your humanity in yeah. order to lead humans effectively. When Because that is demanded of you now. Um, I think at the tail end of industrial revolution and even during the tech boom, when the focus really has been on uh, the machines, the machinery, and the technology, uh, people are really looking at the humanity mm that gives energy to these machines and this technology and they're no longer willing to be secondary or tertiary to those to those um those those bots to those those machines they're saying you know what there needs to be a a focus on the primacy the 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 primary focus needs to be on me as an employee and i need you to to address me, to uh, construct a workplace that values my entire personhood, not just, you know, making me a functionary of what you want to get out of me, um, you know, measuring me by my output.
0: Yeah. More with Maxine Woods-McMillan in a moment. That idea and reality of one not everyone experienced the pandemic differently too. not everyone is navigating the same challenges. And, and I've seen it firsthand, right? That it can be really easy for someone who is in a very different financial situation or support situation to project that same stability on everyone else. And, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, and 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 even if it is um, the identity, if I look at my identity as the executive, if I look at my identity as really tied to work, it can be really difficult. As you and I were talking off offline, to go well, but but I did this, or I, this is what's important to me, and I've suffered through this, so you should suffer through it too. And
1: and, can I, and can again, I just like and say if that is yeah, your perspective please. about anything. If your perspective is, I suffer this, therefore you should suffer this too, let me just categorically say, and don't bother (laughs) emailing me about it, don't (laughs) bother adding me. I'm not going to change. You're humaning wrong. Like you're doing the whole, like go back to the box of directions that you obviously threw in the trash when you took the whole life out of the box. Just go back, open the trash can and turn your head upside down and read the instructions on the back of the box you're humaning wrong. Like, if that is the way you see yeah. life, you are doing the whole human thing wrong. That is not, we are supposed to We're supp- want to, to want others to not experience. Like, right. I went through this. This is kind of, isn't that the instinctual way? Don't go that way. Fire yeah. that way. There's there's a right. bad thing that, You know, run. There's a bear coming. What is this idea of the bear bit me in the butt? You know, you should stand there and get bit too. How do we, how do we advance? How do we, how do we advance as a collective identity of humans? How do we uh, uh, maintain the species, right? If we don't say fire bad, right? If we don't put up signs that say stop here, fire. If we don't do that, if we don't say I experienced this, therefore my contribution is to make sure like you're going to, you might suffer some other things. That's what I tell my kid. Like, okay, you might suffer some really crappy stuff in life. You're going to make mistakes. You're you're not really trying. If you're not making mistakes, don't make the same mistakes I did. My job is to educate you about the ones that (laughs) I went through. I just don't understand the entire the, I don't understand the ethos. I don't understand the, 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 the thinking of, I went through this horrible experience. Therefore, we need to keep this stagnant scenario the exact same way so that you can plunge into the same horrible experience I had. You're doing the human thing wrong.
0: Right. It, you know, uh, okay. I've, like, I'm like going to try to organize my three different thoughts that are hitting me at the <laughs> same time. So uh, yes, 100% agree. My colleague, Dr. Chris Wildermuth and I, we were talking like we need human intelligence to be key to to leadership development. Now, you know, there's a lot of uh, right like, in, you know, the IQ and EQ and all of that is is really valid. I mean, emotional intelligence is very human, but like really understanding humans and really understanding um. Where we are as a collective society, where people are in their individual circumstances, what does that look like? So that's, that's one thought that, that we've been chewing on a lot of just how do we really shift and get people first? And what does that look like? Cause I will tell you from our vantage point of getting to observe lots of companies, the companies that are really thriving are the ones who are figuring that out. The ones that are, are, are experimenting and trying to figure out how do we how do we human differently. But the other thing that was that was coming up for me in this whole um, um, idea of like, I suffered, therefore you had to suffer, you know, I, I, I wonder, I wonder if some of it is well, I didn't know that I could push against it or ask for something different. Mm-hmm. And And so I'm I'm maybe I feel bad about that or I'm embarrassed by it or I'm just sad or angry or whatever the case is, if that's driving it. Mm -hmm. And and to the point that you're making about where we are and the burdens that are upon us, it is different. It the like you said, the the money is the dollar is different. The cost of college is different. The cost of childcare and healthcare and mortgages is different. And something my colleague Teresa and I, we were talking about um, on a a video that we recorded is, you know, in response to people saying things like, well, you know, this younger generation, they're just so entitled and they're asking for promotions and expecting, like, "Is is it that they're entitled or is that there's some level of maybe being desperate for making more money? So that they can have the life that you had. I mean, mm. shit, I think, I, I think just about in my, my lifetime, um, when I graduated college, I feel like this is like when I was your age, but, but, but even how much it's changed in, 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 in our lifetime, right? When I graduated college, I was able to get some remarkable loan that was like one and a half percent. And which I know, I know. <laughs> I know. I don't know how it happened, but I did. But that that shit doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but like, that's but, a
1: different planet.
0: Yeah, it it was pro- I, pro- I literally probably squeezed in in this like, and and that that set me up on a different trajectory than my little brother, who literally was like 8%. And, you know, and even in a very short amount of time, his world was very different, and it's even more different now. And I think that that's one of the things I see is, well, I had to go through this. Well, we were able to. Well, your conditions were very different for a lot of folks. Not everyone. I'm not going to say that or or paint that, but um, yeah, those were the three different thoughts. Take a take a hit on which one you want to pull on or what do you want to
1: add to this? <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna. Respond to all of that with something you said earlier about, um, you know, the indications of, you know, what mm. we talked about. What indications do I see? It, it's particularly as it pertains to leaders. And here's what I really see. I see leaders missing this gargantuan, mm. profound opportunity to be heroes in a pivotal time in history. Mm. And I'm res- and I'm speaking specifically to the idea that as you said um, you talked about you know maybe people are just feeling like you know I didn't know I could have asked for something different or uh, it never even occurred to me but here you are in a position of leadership in a position of um you know impactful directional guidance Uh, for a workforce, for Mm -hmm. a business, uh, you know, you are making decisions. You can make decisions. You are empowered. Uh, You are, depending on your perspective, you are blessed enough. Uh, You are fortunate enough. You are privileged enough to be in a position that you can make um, impactful change on a number of people. And you don't take that. Mm. You don't take that opportunity to say I could do this, I could make this this what might seem minor change right and change the course of a number of families' lives and you are changing lives you are mm. changing lives when someone can say I don't have to leave my kid home alone and figure it, have them mm. figure it out and deal with all of, the shall we say possibilities uh Mm -hmm. negative and otherwise of that child being unsupervised one but also um unmitigated to the dangers of the world um also not knowing what it is to be in constant um affirming and loving interaction seeing someone engaged in work that is uh uh, a repi- a reprisal of their personhood and, and affirming and seeing them be a star mm-hmm. in their own show, seeing them operate in their zone of genius, which we know from the studies, right? We know that has an impact on how, uh, children see themselves when they see their, when they see their parents taking the leap, they see their parents doing the wise and the bright thing, um. And also, you know, not everyone has a job where their child can observe them. I mean, if you're if you're in a lab, you can't have your kid, you know, you can't work from home and have your kid seeing you, you know, with the test tubes. You're you're a medical examiner. You can't bring the kid home, bring the, the corpses home. You got to go to work. Yeah. But if you spend all your time at work, no matter how fabulous your work is, that's time that you are not developing both yourself. You are mm-hmm. not able to bring your best self to the rest of your family Um, and you are not able to interact with your family in such a way that you are um, empowering them to be their best selves. And finally, we got to stop looking at people in the context of others. Mm. Meaning, Mm. you know, I remember when I started in HR um, and you know, who talks about this Oprah, when she was asking for more money and uh, she was looking at what she was doing versus her counterpart, who was doing the exact same job. And when she said, well, I should be making the same thing they should, that person is, it was a a man and that man was married and had children and she did not. And the response she got back was, well, why do you need so much money? This person has a family to support, you don't. We really have to stop looking at people (laughs) uh, in the context of, their relationship to someone else, whether or not they have kids or whether or not they're married or, and just look at them for the value of their personhood in the context of the workplace relationship. I should not be paid because I'm someone's mom or someone's wife or the fact that we still have this ridiculously antiquated system that still connects our uh, access to healthcare to our employer. Um, And so other people are depending on me for healthcare I should be paid what I should be paid because the market respects the value that I bring to the workplace. You respect my value to the organization, and I am a part of how the success the uh, success of the organization is perpetuated. Point blank. Period. Yeah. This foolishness where, you know, people have families. Well, this person doesn't have a family, so they should be able to work overtime. No, Mm -hmm. they should be able to have time to themselves, to think, to evolve, Mm. to pursue passions, Mm. to have an identity that is not wholly and solely defined by their work. And I bet if you gave people an opportunity to do that, They're more likely to want to be in that kind of a workplace because those kind of places are, and and you know, I've talked about this before, they are, they might be replenishing, they might be draining to the, the body in that, you know, they really can take a lot out of you when you're working, 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 but they are redemptive and replenishing to the soul. And we have a tendency it's part of the human condition to go back to places that replenish our soul, that replenish our psyche, that are not taxing and tolling on the soul. We in an era where we are looking at um, so much of um, and we got to talk about, you know, AI and and its impact in in all of this. Um, But when we're talking about artificial intelligence and technology and, and and the machines essentially taking over that conversation again, we have to be really careful that we are not quantifying people in the same terms that we are uh, looking at the machines.
0: Yeah. Because
1: then we're never going to beat the machines at being machines. No. Right. We look at machines as just as machines, as productivity, as, you know, do they serve what function do they serve, and how effectively do they serve that function? We cannot look at people in the in the totality of their personhood in that way and expect it to continue. We are always part of our human condition is always going to push back against that. Why create an environment where you have people pushing back against that in a collective because yeah. it's going to happen?
0: yeah, for sure before we we wind down. One big question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What are the questions that you want leaders to be reflecting on, thinking about interrogating? As we look at this opportunity to think about not just work differently, but our world differently, what are some of the things that you wished people were thinking more about or interrogating more than they are right now?
1: So one of them I already told you, which is Am I losing an opportunity?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, it's a bit it's a bit mm-hmm. cynical, but let's be honest, we all want to kind of see what we get out of it, right. Are you as a leader mm-hmm. missing an opportunity to be a hero in this story? Mm-hmm. We are near mm-hmm. a societal climax in this particular chi- uh, chapter of our in this volume of our story. Um, as a country, as a collective society, we are in a shift are you missing an opportunity to, to be a hero? Will you be a villain mm. or will you be one that just goes with the flow? And if you just go with the flow, understand the people that just go with the flow become background actors and no one really mm. knows their name. And is that really where you want to be? You have mm. an opportunity to be one of those people that we are either going to remember incredibly positively because they are doing something which, if you think about the course of most movements in our country, you know, you are looking at someone who, who did something that we, we look back on it in retrospect and say they went against the they went against the grain, right? They did something completely different. Now, you know, we're talking about the 40-hour work week. But if you remember, um, and I, one of the things I was thinking was to bring a, a, a copy of The Jungle and just kind of read to you. Uh, for the audience, for those of you who haven't read it or not haven't read it in a while, um, some of the passages from the jungle and, and think about at the time. You know, people were reading that and they were just repulsed by it. Uh, but the conditions weren't so uh, far a uh, far afoot of what was normalized at the time, and it was the people who kind of looked back and said, looked at the situation and said no, we're going to do something different. Uh, things that we have become so accustomed to as being normative, at the time when they were proposed, they were seen as the end of everything. If you look back in the historical record, when the 40-hour work week was proposed, it was supposed to be the end of industrial advancement mm. in the United States, right? Oh my gosh, you cannot restrict businesses that way. Um, we're we're, he- we're running headlong into a socialist society. Uh, what will people do with all this extra time, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the introduction, all kinds of things, introduction of Social Security, integration in the workplace, these were all things that were by the naysayers seen as, you know, going to be the end of the world, going to be end of society as we knew it. And we now see those as, as basic norms. And so are you mixing, are you missing an opportunity to be a hero in this, in Mm. this shift? So that's one question I I would hope leaders ask. Another one is um, kind of a golden rule. Mm. Um, so one of the things we heard workers talking about, uh, when they were speaking about what they want to experience differently is, you know, when they talked about, uh, people, leaders saying it's time to return to work. And I remember one person, uh, calling me for a consultation, uh, with a situation she was having. And she said, what does my boss mean about return to work? When was he ever here? Yeah. And when she was talking about the fact that, she was working in a way where she had to physically go to work, and a lot of the people that were saying it's time to go back to work had drivers to drive them through traffic. They came to work when they got to work. They left when they wanted to mm-hmm. leave. They were not governed by a mm-hmm. clock. Um, the, the demands on their life, gr- granted, were substantial, but the reward was also substantial. And you're yeah. talking, you're saying this to people who are still being governed very much by a very static clock that are contending with higher prices to commute and, and less redemptive value in that time of commuting. Um, And the conditions when they get there are just soul sucking. And so ask yourself as a leader, Mm. could I live the life Mm. that I am asking my Mm. workforce to live? If I work up, walk up tomorrow in upside down world and I was on the line. I was the nurse. I was the classroom teacher. I was the shift lead at the Arby's, Whatever it is, right? I, I was the, the 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 programmer working for Google. Whatever. If I was that person, could I live that life in a in mm. a sustained way? Um, I I think that you know, do unto others kind of question. Um, And you don't have to answer it for anyone else, Mm -hmm. but you got to at least be honest with yourself. Something I say uh, often is if if you can't be honest, at least be honorable. And and lastly, um, how long can we persist with the way things are now? Mm. How much longer can we, how much longer will, you know, the rope hold? Obviously, you know, there's a strain on the rope. So part of your calculus as a business owner yeah. is how long can current conditions persist the way they are now? Are you going to react to the rope breaking or are you going to be proactive to prevent the breakage of the rope or create a new rope? Hmm. So those, that's, what, that's what I'm hoping business owners are thinking, leaders are thinking
0: yeah i I thank you for all of those. I think those are such gifts for people to to reflect on and I know that so many of our audience are informal leadership positions or in informal leadership positions influence those who do and I think it's 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 really it's a really interesting push Maxine, you and I know you and I can talk all day and we also know that you know we're we're working on cooking up more conversations between between the two of us and and others. Um thank you wait. so much for bringing your just wisdom, your insight, your Oh, I love it. Really, I love
1: it. I love it here. I love it here. So
0: <laughs> we love you. Okay, so for people who want to connect with you who might be curious about consulting with you, um hiring you to to pick your brain or to just follow you, where's the best place for people to connect with you?
1: OK, so people think I'm crazy, but I, I give out my email address and I would say email me, send me an email um, or follow me on social media. So I'm MaxView uh, underscore ESQ on IG and uh, I'm on there on Facebook. Um, I'm not on the other thing anymore, so don't bother. I'm also uh, <laughs> T Maxine Woods McMillan on LinkedIn uh, or you can just email me Maxine at attorneymaxine.com.
0: Awesome. And we'll be sure to put those in the show notes. You're. You're absolutely brilliant, and I always learn something new from you, and it always pushes my thinking. Back
1: at you,
0: you know that question of like, am I losing an opportunity to be a hero in the story? And if somebody's like, I don't actually care about this story, well, then be honest about that.
1: If you can't be honest, at least be honorable. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm saying my own quote wrong. If you can't be honorable, at least be honest. I'm saying my own quote wrong. If you can't be honorable. Be honest.
0: Oh, flip it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Got it. Right. If you can't be honorable. At least be honest. The honorable thing would be to do, to be like, you know what? I am going to be for others what I didn't have, right? I am going to do for others what I didn't have. You know, when I was coming up, I was struggling with all these kids and nobody helped me and blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, I had to do the grunt work and there was, you know, all of that. So I think it makes sense. My goal in my career is to give others what I didn't have, great. But if you look at it and you say, you know what, I don't give a flip about that, Maxine. Like, you know, you and Mm -hmm. I have had this conversation about uh, uh, the American brand of capitalism and uh, how it it doesn't take into account uh, human value, uh, the the human asset uh, value structure. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people are just going to look at that and be like, I don't care. I don't care. Well, you know what, at least be honest Mm -hmm. about that. What you cannot do, what you should not do, and what is just from a business perspective unwise to do at a time where everything is recorded is spout this stuff, put it on LinkedIn, you know, do interviews, do the podcasts, you know, put videos out there that espouses this value. Uh, that you are not willing to live on a regular basis? Because I'm going to tell you, as an attorney, we go looking (laughs) at that kind of stuff. That's the first thing we're going to say, well, you know, it says right here on your website. <laughs> yeah, It says right sure. here in your mission statement. And also like as <laughs> humans, we have real good bullshit meters, you know? Right. And everything's recorded. Everything is documented. Yeah. This is not 1985 yeah. where you would do an interview over here and, you know, someone might mention it, but it's not recorded word for word. You do an interview. It's recorded. Someone has an iPhone. You know, someone's recording it. It's being uploaded, whether you chose for that to happen or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing a town hall, right? Right you have to make sure there is congruence between your actions and and your professed values. Yeah. Your professed values have to be replicated. They have to be demonstrated in the decisions you make. Stop saying that, you know, you, you, you value every team member. I can't tell you how many times I talk to employees who call me for, you know, a consult and they'll say, you know, they're always blathering on about they value every team member, but, you know, I got sick as a dog and they basically told me, you know, clean up your own vomit and get back to work. You know, I don't feel very valued as an employee. Like they will throw your words back at you. So make Mm -hmm. sure when you put them out there that you're willing to live them. Yeah. In every facet of your, of your business. Yep.
0: Uh, Maxine. All right, my love. Thanks for coming on the show. I look forward to conversation six. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be forthcoming at some point. I'm,
1: a, I'm already looking forward to the chats. Let's get ready. Thank you so Let's much, my going. love. I appreciate all you. All right. Thanks much.
0: Our guest this week has been T. Maxine Woods-McMillan, who has quickly become one of my favorite humans in the whole world. And she just brings the insight and the thing that I'm, all oh, that question could i live the life i'm asking my workers to live just just that that's just i think such a powerful question and as always we want to hear from you what resonates what new connections do you make? What questions come up for you? You can always send me an email at podcast at Wilson.com, or you can send me a message on social media where my DMs are always open, but I'm mostly on LinkedIn these days. Also, if you haven't, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're interested in supporting the show financially, consider becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where your financial contribution supports the team that makes this show. Possible, and you'll get some pretty great swag along the way. A big shout out to the team that makes this show possible: to our producer Nick Wilson, to our sound editor Drew Noll, to our transcriptionist Becky Reinert, our marketing consultant Jessica Burge, and the rest of the Snowco crew. Thank you so much, and a big final thank you to our guest T. Maxine Woods McMillan. She is one of my favorite people, and I always learn something new from her. And I hope that you did as well. This has been conversations on conversations when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So please be sure to rest, rehydrate, and I'll see you again soon.